Hey, you're listening to Emacs Cast. My name is Rakim. This is episode two. Today I'm going to talk about my setup. My config file is still quite small. Well, compared to other people's where they have this years and years of stuff in there. As I said in the first episode, I'm a beginner. I just started exploring Emacs and I just started building my config. So if you are also a beginner and you're thinking about starting to learn Emacs, this might be kind of a first step. You can base your own config off of mine because it's super simple and it's easy to modify, at least for now. Everything I talk about will be linked to this episode. My config as of today will be saved as well. So first I have to say that I am using macOS. I switched to Macs years ago and I don't use any non-Mac computers currently. And of course, as many Mac users trying to learn Emacs, I have tried Aquamacs, which is a Mac-specific build of Emacs. It's quite different from vanilla Emacs, but if you just need Emacs to work as much as possible out of the box, as you expect a Mac app to work, then Aquamacs is excellent. Most of the things just work. All the usual shortcuts, it even has tabs like any other Mac app today. But it's quite different from original Emacs. Many things that you find on the net or in books will not work or will work differently, which will add to frustration. So if you want that full Emacs journey experience where you fiddle, you try different stuff, you make your own config and kind of build this editor out of raw materials, then Aquamax might not be the best choice. But if you're not planning to do any fiddling, you just want the basic stuff, then Aquamax is fine. But it's a different build, and it's not updated as often as the original Emacs. So it's actually, I think now Aquamax is at version 25, but Emacs currently is at 26. So I went with just vanilla Emacs. You can download it, Emacs for macOS x.com. It says pure Emacs, no extras, no nonsense. That's that's what I want. Emacs itself is quite bare bones, but the usual Emacs that you install, like from emacsformacos.com, comes with lots of packages built in. Over the years, most essential and, you know, community popular packages got built in, kind of. They got into the original distribution. So now Emacs comes with lots of packages that you have to Keep this in mind because if you read some old manual that says old tutorial or something that says install this package, maybe this package is already installed. One of the packages that's already installed that comes with Emacs is org mode. And it's quite hard to explain what this is when they say it's an outliner organizer kind of to-do app. It doesn't really help you. It, It doesn't make much sense. Org mode, of course, is a huge topic in Emacs. I will have probably multiple episodes about org mode as I am still exploring it. Today I'm not going to talk about org mode a lot, but I started to talk about it because I use it for my configuration. So Emacs is written in C and Elisp, and Elisp is dialect of a Lisp programming language. This makes Emacs quite different from Vim because in Vim, if you want to write something like an extension or some some custom function for your config, you have to write it in Vim script, which is not fun. It's not a fun language. 
e-lisp on the other hand is kind of fun it's not the best of lisps and it has its drawbacks it has problems and maybe emacs community will solve them in the near future or even move to other lisps there was a talk of moving to common lisp but it's still a fun language it's it's a nice simple functional programming language if you haven't tried lisps or lisp related languages it will look kind of weird but if you are having this open mind which i talked about in the last episode it will be just fine everything in your configuration in the file that defines how your particular emacs instance is behaving and working is written in elisp so you just write your code that says install this package set this setting to this set this key binding to do that etc and since it's a programming language you can have conditions or you can have you know lists with loops if you have to install 25 packages you don't have to say install package 1 install package 2 install package 3 you can create a list of packages and then have a loop that goes through the list and installs each package other editors like sublime for example have a particular config syntax they have this set of rules that you use to write your config file and it's limited to the rules that they define the developers defined in emacs you are not limited it's just a program so whatever you can program that's your config so in the simplest case you have this .emacs file or nowadays which is recommended i think you have this emacs.d directory in your home folder and inside of that you have different elisp files emacs by default looks into emacs.d slash init.el el is for emacs lisp and just runs it when emacs starts so whatever you put in there that's your config it will run every time emacs starts in the simplest case you just write it there but since configs are these huge files that people grow over the years it can quickly become messy you don't know where to put stuff you you don't know how to organize it you still have to write lots of comments to you know make future you and other people understand what's going on you can still break it into multiple files yes but it's still kind of messy there's this idea called literate programming it's a programming paradigm introduced by Donald Knuth in which a program is given as an explanation of its logic in just human language like English so you read it as kind of a book about programming you know they have paragraphs of text and then a snippet of code and then another text and maybe some diagrams and then snippet of code this idea of literate programming is that this book is actually the program itself so in the simplest way you can just write a lot of comments write it as a book starting from scratch so your program goes from the beginning and evolves and the explanation goes from the beginning and evolves as well in the end for the computer of course there is no explanation there's no text there's it just goes into pure code but for people it's like a book in emacs you can do that for your config files well you can do that for anything but it's quite useful for a config file because you can use org mode to write your config now org mode is just a text file with particular set of conventions to specify headers bold text basic so if you've seen markdown this is kind of like that but there are more features so you can write your config file in an org file and write it as kind of a tutorial or a manual or a book it will have sections because there are headers and subheaders and there will be text which explains stuff and there, there will be code snippets org mode also has org babble that's just a thing that takes all the code snippets out of an org file 
and compiles them into a real program. It's basically what makes a program out of a literate program, out of this book. So if you take a look at my org file, it explains what's happening and it has these code snippets. In the lingo of org babble, it's called tangle. So whatever is tangled goes to the resulting program. So some pieces of code in my config are just for reference. They are not to be included in the init file, in the actual config. So it says tangle no in the header of those code snippets. But most of the code snippets, they go into the config. So they just stay as they are. So how does it work? First, you have to write the init file yourself. You have to have it because Emacs cannot start with the org mode config. It has to start with the actual elisp. You have to start with code. And I didn't come up with it myself, of course. I'm not an elisp guru by any means. I looked at other people's config and I will link a few of them. So the approach I chose among those examples is your first init file is simple. It just opens the org file, runs this org babble tangle thing, which extracts all the code from the org file, and then writes it into init.el. So it kind of overwrites itself with the stuff extracted from the org file. So that initial version of the file exists for that one moment. After you open your Emacs, it overwrites itself and it's not there anymore. That initial version, it's not there anymore. I have it in my repository, but that's just how I made it with Git. It's not the actual state of that file on my system. And the thing is, I don't even know how it looks on my system. I don't care because I only work with the org file and I don't look into the result. So I have to edit this org file a lot. So I'm adding new stuff or experimenting. Reloading Emacs every time after I make changes is tedious. So there's a custom function called tangle init, which just does that on every save. In Emacs Lisp, you can add a hook, do something when something else happens. So I have this function called tangle init, which checks if the current buffer is init.org, then do that whole tangle thing. And then there's a hook, run this function on every save. So now I don't have to reload Emacs when I make changes to this org file. Then I set up some visuals. I like the default uh, font that was set up in Emacs when you just download it. It's called Menlo, but it's too small for my taste. I, I changed it to 15. I also like the built-in theme called TSDH Lite. It's light, it's, it looks like paper. Uh, it kind of looks like IA Writer app, which I really enjoy on, on Mac. And then I make my windows a bit bigger, remove the toolbar, show the time and wrap lines. Emacs makes backups of files you edit and it places them near the files in the same folder. I don't like this. You can change the backup directory so that all the backups go into a single directory. So I just have backups folder in my emacs.d and all the backups go there. Then I set up a few other things, like I don't want to see that startup message with the, I have to admit, quite ugly default Emacs logo. By default, Emacs thinks that sentences end with two spaces. Sometimes I see people writing text and having two spaces, and chances are they are Emacs users. They, they have this uh, habit. I don't have it, I end sentences with a single space and you can set Emacs to keep this in mind. Now, the most important thing, the, the thing that I spend lots of time on is how to set up my keyboard. As I said, I have a Mac and I have the standard Apple Magic Keyboard, the small kind of a laptopy keyboard. I know it's it doesn't look 
good, it doesn't look ergonomic. And I've tried many other keyboards, but I keep coming back to this. It's perfect, it's so small, and I just enjoy it, and it doesn't hurt my, my arms, even though most people say it will. In Emacs, there are two main modifier keys, the, the keys that you use the most, Control and Meta. By default, on Mac, there is a control key, of course, on these small keyboards, it's only on the left side, and Meta is Option or Alt. This is not super nice because you have to use control a lot. Moving your fingers or your whole arm to hit control multiple times a minute is not comfortable. Common advice in Emacs community is to use caps lock as control. You can do it uh, on Mac without any additional software. You just go into settings and say that caps lock should be control. And it's fine. Yes, it's much better than the default control, but it's still on the left side. And you still have to probably use your pinky. Pinky is your weakest finger, probably. I don't know, maybe you work on your pinky a lot, but it's not the best finger to do a lot of work. And I couldn't just get used to this. But the good thing is, by default on Emacs and Mac, command is the super key. And on Mac, many built-in things just work. Something that I expected only on Aquamax. So command C, V, or X just work with the buffer. Command Z for undo. Even command O opens the file and command S saves the file. By default in Emacs, you have to go control X, control S to save. But I have this muscle memory of command S and command C and V for buffer. And it just worked. It was perfect. You don't use the super key in Emacs a lot. You use control and meta a lot. So I was trying different setups. And for now, I ended up with this. I bind both commands as control. So now if I want to say control X, control S, I hit command X, command S, and I can hit it on either side of the keyboard because there are two command keys, which is good because I have to use more of my right, right arm when doing these complicated combinations. The option stays as meta and the control key becomes super. So I can still use something like control S to save. It's not in my muscle memory because it's command S in my muscle memory. But it seems like fighting this thing is counterproductive when it comes to Emacs. I came to the con conclusion that when in doubt, just go with the defaults. Uh, it's not, it goes against all my habits, but I don't think it's too hard to get used to, to the to new ways and will just make all kinds of problems go away. In this config, hitting Control Z, which physically is hitting Command Z, it minimizes the window into the dock which is annoying. I never do that. I never want to do that. Of course, I have this muscle memory of command Z as undo. So in my config, I set control Z to undo. I also have this muscle memory of command V to paste from buffer. But by default, that combination, which is control V in Emacs, scrolls the buffer down. I don't use scroll ever. It's kind of page down. I don't use that. It's disorienting for me. I don't know where I'm, where I'm at. Sometimes I'm in Emacs and I want to paste and I do that and I just, I scroll, I have no idea what's going on. Just to make my life a bit easier in my config, I unbind control V so it doesn't do anything. Then there are a few other tweaks to make scrolling easier and nicer. And then I go to packages. Packages are basically plugins, add-ons for Emacs. And they come from centralized repositories. There are multiple repositories. There's official repository and there's this 
popular place called Melpa. There are also other places like Marmalade, but I just use Melpa for now. It's fine. Most of the packages I want are in there. There's a piece of code that you have to add so that this new place, this new source is added to the list of sources. And then you can install packages. The first package that I install is called use package. And it's a package that makes installing other packages a bit easier. You can use it to ensure some packages installed. If it's installed, then nothing will happen. If it's not installed, it will be installed. And in the same place where you install a package, you can add some configurations, you can add some conditions, etc. And then I install a package called exec path from shell. So when I run my Emacs, I don't run it in the terminal, I run it as a GUI app. And by default, at least on Mac, it doesn't see my environment. All those path variables that is in my basically terminal in my bash. This is not a problem when you just use Emacs, but if you go into the terminal inside Emacs, which is quite useful because you don't have to leave your editor to go into a terminal. It's not like your default terminal. It doesn't work like your default terminal. It doesn't see the path. So many pieces of software will not work in there. So you have to kind of pass your environment to Emacs and this package called exec path from shell does it. And it's just two lines of code. You actually need this for org mode if you are exporting org documents to PDF because org mode uses an external program called PDF LaTeX or LaTeX. Still not sure how to how to pronounce that. It just runs it. And if it's not in your path, if it's not loaded, then it will not find it. So extract your stuff from the path or use a package like exact path from shell. Then there's this IDO mode or IDO, which makes navigating and selecting buffers and selecting files a bit easier. I enable flex matching, which is basically fuzzy matching. So when I open a file, when I try to open a file, I can write just some letters from the name, not not strictly the name, but maybe the first letter and then the last letter, and it will find it. It's not as good as in Sublime. Sublime seems to just read my mind when I use fuzzy matching to open files, but it's still fine. I haven't tried other packages like Helm, which is probably better in this regard. I will try it later, and I will talk about it in some other episode. And my last piece of the config for now is a section on org, on org mode. First, I want to set up the org directory. I have my home directory and I have org inside. That folder is where all the org files go by default. And it's actually a symlink to my Dropbox folder. And that Dropbox folder is synced to different computers. So from my computer, it looks like I just have org folder in my home folder, but it's actually pointing to Dropbox. Org mode has a feature, super cool feature called agenda. So in any org file, you can add to-dos with schedules and deadlines. Agenda just goes through all your to-dos and shows your weekly agenda. By default, there are no files where org mode looks for deadlines for those dates. So you have to add a folder or add particular files to the agenda view. And there's a line of configuration that says, I just want to add my whole directory. I might have specific to-dos in that directory. I might have just, you know, a book I'm writing. And if anywhere in that book, I have a to-do item buried in some sub-sub-sub-section. If that to-do item has either schedule date or a deadline, I will see it in my agenda. I will not lose it, which is kind of cool. One of the things that work in at least macOS version of Emacs by default is selection with shift. 
as you expect in any other program, you just hit shift and hit arrows and you can select text. This is not the proper Emacs way. In Emacs, you just hit control space and then you move the cursor. And then of course you don't touch the cursor, you touch your combinations to move with the control. But for me, I still use selection with shift. It's fine. It's built in. So it seems like Emacs is okay with it. So I'm not worried. But by default, actually, if you select something and start typing, it doesn't delete what you selected. In most other applications and on the operating system level, if you select something and start typing, it replaces whatever was selected. It deletes whatever was selected. But in Emacs by default, it doesn't delete. I want it to delete, so I have that line in my config as well. And then in org mode, that selection doesn't work by default because there are a bunch of things that are bound to shift and arrows in org mode. Like you can move any header into to-do item and then switch between different states of that item by shift left or right. That's why by default in org mode, shift and arrows don't select, but you can enable it and it's kind of smart about it so that when you can select and you cannot do anything else, it does select, but when you are, for example, on a to-do item, it will not select, it will do whatever is needed to be done with shift arrows. So you are not kind of losing any functionality by enabling that. One of the things I wanted to say in the previous episode, actually, is um, I think for many people, there will be a question of why make an audio podcast about Emacs? Because, well, it's something that you want to show, right? It's, it's, a, it's a visual thing. It's an editor on your computer. And it's kind of hard to talk about programs or even programming languages and config files without visuals. And yes, that's true. But... If you use Emacs, you kind of have to have a good imagination. So it's not to say that podcast is perfect for that because you must imagine whatever I'm saying. And when I say code, uh, lines of code, you just process them in your brain because you're a proper Emacs user. I'm not saying that. It's kind of a fun thing. But it seems like Emacs users kind of have to have a better imagination than average because, well many things are hidden in Emacs. They, they're not shown that you kind of have to maintain the state in your mind. And this is probably why for many hardcore Emacs users, it's quite painful to leave Emacs to go anywhere else because first you have all that stuff inside your head. You are, you are kind of invested into this uh, environment and you get into this kind of symbiosis state where you are just perfect for each other. You just do stuff. You, it becomes your extension. And then you leave, you go to like Chrome browser or something and nothing works. N none of those combinations, none of those conventions work and it's painful. I can understand that. So having Emacs run for some time, you kind of embed into it. And some of the things that are confusing for beginners or just plain stupid, like why are you not showing something that is happening? It becomes second nature for Emacs users. So they kind of have this, maybe not imagination, but you can call it the resource of the mind. Other thing is that for many years, selection in Emacs didn't really select visually. You just had to imagine that this is something that you select because you just say from here to here is the region I want to select. But only in, I think, version 23, several years ago, it actually started to highlight the selection. So, you know, you had to imagine. Okay, the last line in my config is something that I used a lot to write this config. So as I said, it's an org file and all the actual pieces of code are in code snippets. 
in org mode, you can say begin source and end source. And between that is your programming language code, whatever code it is. In this case, it's elisp. It can be anything else. And when you say begin source, you have to write the name of the language so that org mode knows to how to highlight, how to process this kind of code. The template to insert this block of code, this snippet, is built in. If you just write less than sign and then S and then hit tab, it will automatically create this empty snippet and you can just start writing. But every time I do that, I have to write the name of the language. So I expand the snippet automatically and then I have to write Emacs Lisp and then hit enter and then write my code, which is tedious and not something Emacs users should do by hand all the time. So I created a new template and one line of code adds this template to the list of org structure templates. And now I can hit less than EL for ELISP and then hit tab and this new snippet is created automatically and the cursor is set up exactly where I, I want to start writing code. All right, hopefully you enjoy this. So next time I will talk about a couple of packages that I like and a couple of resources, not actually a couple, a whole bunch of free and paid resources to learn Emacs and org mode from scratch. Something that I really enjoyed. There are so many awesome people who create YouTube videos and blog posts and write books about Emacs. This community seems to be producing a really high quality content. It's just amazing how, how good uh, many free things about Emacs are. I would love to, to hear your comments. Thank you so much for listening. This was Emacs Cast episode two. Bye-bye.